We're preaching from Ephesians, and I'm at Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn to verse 21, so long. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm going to read a couple of verses there, and then it's a, it's a three-week sermon, this. Uh, one tonight to the men, then to the women, and then to families or children in general as well. So uh, please turn there so long. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. You know... All of us, or many of the younger ones have gone to preschool. Us older ones, preschool in those days didn't really exist. Uh, we just stayed at home, our mommies looked after us and they sent us to school and so on and that's how it was. But today you go to preschool and you, you're there for about four years. Then you go to primary school and I've got to get my maths here, it's a long time ago and you're there for seven years. Check up on me, Aiden. Then you go to high school and there's five years. If you add those together, there's 16 years. If you want to go do a tertiary education, you add another three or four years, so it's roughly 20 years of studying. I mean, can you believe it that that's the amount of years that some of you have put into education and so on, all right? Some of you have not finished it yet, but can you believe it? That's what you're going to do, all right? So we prepared ourselves for these 20 years to go into the marketplace, to be of some use there. And, and isn't it true that sometimes you get into the marketplace, marketplace after all these years of study and you realize you still don't know anything because you've got to learn how to do that job now. And that's learning. That's life. All right, but we spend so much energy and time to educate ourselves to do this job properly. And yet, for what I believe is the most important relationship and the foundation of a healthy society, a community, marriage, we don't want to spend any time investing in that. And especially as men. You know, we have a married seminar, we say sign up, and the women sign up, and they hope to drag their husbands there. Now, I don't mind that. I've asked Carol to go to a lot of married seminars because I think she really needs it to build to make our marriage much better, you know. So, uh, but isn't it true that men so often think, I don't need this. I, I know how to do this. So I want to speak to you guys tonight, here and online, what it means to be a husband, an Ephesians 5 husband. Let me ask you as a woman tonight, those of you who are married, and you're not allowed to bump your husband or to glare at him or to say to him afterwards, I told you so. But if I had to ask you a question as a woman tonight, a married woman, and if you're single here, guys, don't switch off now. Uh, Don't go and make coffee now at home because this is for all of us. Sometimes the best place to learn about marriage is before you get there even. All right, so, but let me ask you woman today. Do you have a love-starved marriage? Do you have a love-starved marriage? And you see, when I ask a man this question, he thinks different to what, to what a woman thinks when I ask her, do you have a love-starved marriage? I may come back to that in a moment. So Ephesians chapter 5 is one of those chapters to help us understand what it means to be a godly husband and how to love the wife that God has given to us. It starts with the woman's responsibility, and I've turned it upside down because I know that normally we start with the woman, and we nail the woman, and then we just brush over the men. And I want to tell you guys straight tonight that I can't give you the book, but I can give you some pointers tonight on how to love your wife the way that God wants you to love your wife. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
And here we go, gents. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does to the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want to be real with you tonight as men, married men, but men who potentially will be married one day. I want to be real with some of you who have maybe really messed up in this department and thank God for forgiveness and restoration. I believe that many of us as men have never learned what it means to love our wives. We've either had bad example at home or others that I'll mention later, but we have missed it. We have not learned this word love and what it means to really love our wives. You see, that chapter says this. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we're going to park a little bit there tonight and discuss this a little bit more in slight detail because we've only got half an hour together to do this. You see, just as is the clue really in these verses. Love your wife just as. And after the just as, it's going to give you an idea on how to love your wife. You see, love in the Bible is not open to interpretation. It is really clear what Jesus tells us and how he wants us to do it. The trouble with this verse is many of us think we understand the first part. When it says love your wives, we think, I, I know how to do this. I've got no problem with this. And then we start reading and meditating on the second part of this verse that says, just as Christ loved the church. And when we really start meditating on this, we get ourselves into a deep panic from time to time because the task is not easy. Listen to this. A worldly man and his views about love is light years apart from a biblical God-fearing man's idea of love. The problem though, gents, is that we have been influenced by the world's view of love. We have been contaminated in our thinking when it comes to the topic of love and loving your wife. I want to say it clear, I know there are some young children watching and here even tonight and your parents can explain it more if they want, but you learn some of this stuff at school as well. But I want to tell you gentlemen, women have become in our minds as men only sex objects. And I think it's time that as men who love the Lord Jesus Christ, we must reverse that, speak out against that, and do something about that. That's why porn is so big. That's why up to 65 to 70% of men sitting in church are watching porn on a regular basis. Because women have become a sex object. 
Now I want to tell you and warn you women as well, be careful how you dress because you don't help us that often. If you dress the way you do from time to time, you don't make it easy for a man. But it's not an excuse, gents. And I'm not talking to the woman tonight. I'm talking to you and me that needs to understand this word love in a biblical context. You see, today most of us think of love as a sexual attraction to someone. And you know what is really guiding us? Not the Bible. Hollywood. And Hollywood tells us, or try to tell us, what love really is. And so on a regular basis, we do exactly what Hollywood tells us. We jump into bed, we fall in love, and we fall out. I don't see falling in love as a biblical. I've never read that in my Bible, that if you fall in love with your husband, stay married until you fall out of love. I've never, ever read falling in love, that phrase in the Bible, ever. You see, so Hollywood is guiding us. Hollywood is telling us how to do things. Most of us have this romantic idea about love that is going to last forever. And we're talking about an emotion, a sexual attraction to somebody that is going to be there forever. And let me tell you that, that when you read Ephesians chapter 5, you understand that the word of God tells us a different story to Hollywood when it comes to the idea of loving your wife. If you love, or for you love equals sex, you are going to be in trouble down the line in your marriage. Although it is important in marriage, it is not the most important thing. And if this note or my words shock you tonight, then read Ephesians chapter five a number of times and understand what the Bible says about being an Ephesians five kind of guy. You see, if you wanna be a godly man, and you'll see later why I'm telling, telling you that it's so important for us who are married and so important for us as men to love girls the way, women, the way God tells us to because we're gonna be measured by that one day and I'll come back to that in a moment. But if you wanna be a godly man, you've gotta learn how to love your wife according to Ephesians chapter five. You've gotta become an Ephesians chapter five guy. You've got to decide and have a desire in your heart to be that kind of guy. You've got to read this passage and study it. And I can't give you every note and everything on this topic tonight. I can just stir your thinking to go home tonight and say, Lord, help me. I'm falling short. I have got a big challenge ahead of me. Let's go back to that word, just as. Those two words. Just as Christ loved the church. So here's the challenge. Being a good husband means I love my wife just as Christ loved his church. And let's take it a step further. So in order to demonstrate that love, I've got to behave towards my wife the way that I, or the way that Jesus behaves towards his church. Gentlemen, here's the love test. Here's the true husband love test. This is it. Would you like Jesus to treat you the way that you are treating your spouse? That's the love test. Just as Christ loves the church, would you like Jesus to love you the way that you love your spouse? You see, somebody once said, and I've just written it down, not saying much about it tonight, is that as men, we've got to stop messing with the head, we've got to become the head. And some of us are manipulating and controlling instead of just becoming and leading like a godly man should in a godly home. It takes us a step further. It says, just as Christ loved the church. And then he gives us a clue, a further clue. He says, and gave himself up for her. Folks, that's a challenge. This can keep us busy for a week. 
This can, this can send you in a cold sweat tonight as you drive home. And woman, please don't say to your husband, ah, you, you heard what Rolf said today. You heard it. You heard it. Listen to him. She said, I've actually asked Carol today, but she didn't listen to me not to come to the services just in case she gets ammunition to use against me uh, as I teach on this. But just as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. Put your own name in that verse tonight. And say, Rulof, love Carol the way that Jesus loved the church. And Rulof, give yourself up for your bride just as Jesus gave himself up for his bride, the church. Can you see that it's not an easy thing? It's a lifelong commitment. It's hard work. But it makes a choice. And it sticks with that choice. And it works with that choice. And it says to itself, I will not deviate from the plan of marriage for me and my spouse. Because God says so. See, that verse there, giving ourselves up, or giving himself up for her, can mean a lot. But one of the things that it definitely means is that it involves a sacrifice. It definitely involves a sacrifice. I want to tell you today that many of us are in a hurry to get the woman to the altar. But not in a hurry to die at the altar before we take her to the altar. Because that's what it means. You've got to have a regular burial service if you really want to be the man of God. And bury your ego and bury yourself so that you can sacrifice yourself easier for the woman that God has given to you to love and to honor and to respect and to develop and to care for. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. To my Christian friends, the answer is simple. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let me tell you something. If Jesus lives in you, it's got to come out some way. You've got to demonstrate it. You've got to act it. You've got to live it. See, many men in my years of counseling and marriage work, many men have this defensive phrase. The moment their wives come and speak to them about Time and that you never hear is, 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 is this is what they hurl, this is what they say to the, their wives very quickly. Well, at least I'm providing for our family. I don't know if any of you ladies have heard this because your husband is absent, but at least I've provided for my family. You see, we don't have to defend, or we have done this, we're doing this because we're defending a shortcoming in our lives. Let me tell you, I'm old school. I believe, and I know that women, most women today do work and earn sometimes more than their husbands and, and have got to go out there. And because we've messed society up, not because it's right, but because we're doing it because I think we've cooked the order a little bit here. But let's move on because we've got to fix it. And now you've got to go out there. You've got to work. And I know you earn a salary and so on and so on. But I still believe that the responsibility of provision is with the head of the home, the husband. And I don't think I'm old school. I just think I read my Bible. So I've heard many women say this to me. Oh, Rolof, my husband's never at home. He's always at work. I don't think he's been to any sports game of our children. He's working so hard on his career. And you know what they do when they say that? They normally hide the biggest flaw in their husband. And they don't really want to say it, but they know it. That the husband is never there. But they always, oh, the, at least, he, though he doesn't spend time with us, at least he's providing a home over our, our, uh, for us and a roof over our head and provide finances for us. At least he's doing that. And when they say at least, 
I normally say, do you believe? Is that what you really want? Or do you want more? And the answer is always, of course I want more. You know, it's what he does. You see, folks, provision is the minimum requirement that you can give to your wife. The minimum requirement. You say, why do I say that? Well, let, let, let me test you a little bit here. If you had to come to Jesus, and Jesus said to you, Peter, you know, I can only provide your needs. I'm never going to speak to you. I'm never going to spend time with you. I'm never going to do anything else, but I'll provide. You'll have a, a home. You'll have a pension of some sort. You'll have a car and so on and, and so on. But that's all I'm going to give you. you. You'll have sort of a, a scheme to live one. I don't think I'm going to be satisfied. I want more from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying want more as in physical stuff. I would like to have a bit more fellowship with the Lord Jesus and know that he's got my back and know that we can have time together as well. You see, sacrifice, gentlemen, means more than just hoying money at our family. It means much more than that. Another thing that sacrifice means, and there's a list of things that can mean, is time. Sacrifice means I am willing to give time. I dare you. Go to a couple of us older men tonight and say, what do you regret most about your life? And none of them will probably say, I hope so, but a very few of them maybe, let me rephrase, will say to you, you know what I really regret is that I didn't make another million. I really regret that I didn't start another company. I, didn't, I, I really regret that I didn't travel more in Africa and, and, and make more. They will not say that to you. The older we get, the more we realize what we really regret is the lack of time we gave to our, husbands, to our wives and to our children. That is the reality. Wealth, when you're 60, 70, 80, 19 years old, you realize is not everything. Time is what they really needed from you. You see, let, let me tell you, and I've got three children and Three uh, married to those three and then six that came out of those three, you know, so uh, six grandchildren. And when my kids were, were in their, their 20s, and so on, they didn't come to me and say, Dad, you know, when I was a little child, you never gave me a little push car. Or Dad, you know what, you never refused. And I did refuse name brand jeans because, you know, they're just as good as the one from Pep Stores that you pay half the price for. And the Pep Stores one's even tougher and you just stick the sticker on it. Levi, nobody knows the difference. They ne but they would never come to me and say, you know, Dad, you never gave me this. Or no, Dad, that cricket bat or that netball ball and so on. They don't do that. What, what they value is the time that we have spent together with them as our kids. There's a father who came back from work one day. And his daughter comes up to him and she's young and she says, Daddy, how much money do you make an hour? And I'm gonna use any amount. Let's, let's say this is the amount. And the dad looks at her and he says, I make 750 rand an hour. And the little girl looks at her daddy and says, Daddy, would you please give me 50 rand? And the dad really got cross with this girl and said, go to your room. Do you think I work so hard just to throw money away? Go to your room. And this girl's eyes filled with tears and she went up into her room and stayed there for a while. And an hour later, the dad felt really sorry about what he had done. So he was thinking and he says, I wonder why she asked me how much I earn and secondly, if I could give her 50 rand. So he went up to her room and he says, my girl, can I speak to you? And she says, yes, dad. Her eyes were still a little bit teary. And he says, I know I was very rude to you, but why did you ask me if I could give you 50 rand? She looked at him and she pulled a little pillow up and under the pillow were some coins and, and some rands, paper money. And as her dad saw this, she said, Dad, 
you told me you earn 750 rand an hour. I have been saving up for a long time to pay you 750 rand to spend one hour with you. And the dad shook his head, took his little girl in his arms, and gave her a good hour of his time and never changed, uh, and changed and never went back to that kind of behavior towards his daughter. Man, I pray it doesn't happen to you. I was a young father, busy in ministry, out every night, ministering to people, praying for people, busy every day. And I don't say this with, with, with pride. And one day, my, my little Carissa, who is now 35 years old, grabbed me by the leg, and she was this high, and she says, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to a meeting. She says, Daddy, not another meeting. Three years old. So I was like this father. Thank God I changed that day. You see, time, love, that's what your family needs. I want to go back to loving your wife a little bit here tonight again. You see, my dear gentlemen, I want to be a godly man. You want to be a godly man. You know, there's one thing that is of primary focus in my life. My primary objective is to bring Jesus Christ glory in my life. And when I fail, it really upsets me. My secondary purpose. So I want to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. My second purpose is to bring glory to the bride that I have married. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want that woman to be happy. I've not always been that kind of husband. But I work on it, and I'm willing to change. I'm willing to take a club. I don't take it that nicely, but I normally a day or two later believe, don't tell Carol that she may have been right, and I change. I hope I do. So Carol says to me today, and she says, so can I sell your golf clubs? I said, please do. I play so bad that it will be such a pleasure if you sell them. So uh, you'll save me a lot of pain. But let me tell you, I want to bring glory to my bride and I'll tell you where I get this from, from this verse. Listen to what it says. Jesus says, I will, I will sacrifice for this church. I'll give myself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present herself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Gentlemen, you are not responsible for your wife's spiritual life. But you will be held accountable for her spiritual growth. And that I find from this verse. You will, I'm, I'm not responsible for Carol's walk with God, but I will be accountable for her walk with God in how I've motivated and encouraged her to be this radiant bride without spot or wrinkle one day before the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not in charge of every decision she makes. I don't have the power over every choice that she makes. This woman is not under my foot or under my control. I am not having a relationship with somebody who is my pawn and I'm playing a chess match with her and move her the way I want her to move. That is not what I have. But I have a responsibility to see that one day I will stand before God who will ask me about my wife and present her to him as a radiant, growing, flourishing woman, wife, and mother. I get that from this verse. You see, I have this vision that one day 
And, and it's not in the Bible, it's in my mind. And I think uh, some of it I get from the scriptures, others I just imagine. That one day when Jesus comes to take his bride into heaven, he's going to have a big field somewhere. And he's going to call the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to call all the angels and say, look at this. Look what I died for. Remember we wrote there in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm, I'm preparing a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, holy. Do you remember that? This is the closest we could get to this with humans. That's his aim. My dear friend, husband, let me tell you this. You think you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, how much money did you make? How many souls did you see saved? How many churches have you planted? And if I, if, I, if I just ready to say, God, I've done this and I've preached so many times, I've seen so many people say, he'll say to me, stop, Rulof. Just call Carol over here, please. I want to see how radiant she is. I want to see how beautiful she is. I want to see how holy she is. I want to see how, how her walk with me is because that's the responsibility that I gave you first to present your bride to me one day without spot and without wrinkle. You know, when I talk like this, I get scared. But I have an accountability and a responsibility before God to make sure that that happens to the bride that he has given to me, who is my wife and my friend and the mother of my children. Jesus wants us to wash our bride through water and the word. I can't get there tonight because that has got a lot of meaning. But let me tell you something I've worked out in my life. That things, earthly things, do not satisfy a relationship. It gives us a little high every now and then. Maybe a car, a diamond ring, or a pair of shoes, or a handbag will lift that relationship a little bit, but it doesn't keep it lifted. Isn't that true in any marriage relationship? You see, I'll just give her a gift, and she'll feel much better. It's, it doesn't last long. And one of the things that I've realized is these earthly things do not satisfy. Remember when you bought that first new car, whether it was a Mahindra or a, I don't know what it was, or a Tata or a, or a Tana or whatever those cars were, and you bought that new little car and you think, this is the best thing since Chappie. And you drive home and, you, and, and two weeks later, and the first week, nobody was allowed to eat in your car, drink in your car, drive in your car, sit without a, uh, um, uh, something underneath him and, and, and all kinds of that stuff. Remember those days? And two weeks later, that, that novelty has gone off and people eat in your car and they, they don't sit on a towel on your seat and you don't really mind too much what they do and the boot is full of rubbish. The novelty is worn off. Earthly things don't satisfy long. They don't satisfy long. What satisfies is when Jesus through the Spirit quenches our thirst. And that's my job as a husband to quench my own thirst by walking full of the Spirit and seeing that my wife is walk, walking by the Spirit as well, without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless. Carol, the wrinkle bit, I can't do much about. That's unfortunately not, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I can't sort those wrinkles out, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but without spot or wrinkle doesn't mean that. You know what it means in my mind's eye? It means things are ironed out, it's nice and smooth, it's beautiful, it's clean, it's without spot. That's my job. That's your job as a husband. I love what Peterson says, and he's, this is how he translates this, this verse. He says, husbands, listen very carefully. And if you're not married, you've got to do it this way, guys. You've got to learn from me tonight. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. 
exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. This is the kind of picture. This is how he wants you to treat the woman that he has given to you. Husband, love your wife the way Jesus loved his church and gave himself up for her to present her holy and blameless, spotless, without wrinkle. Will you do that? Will you work hard on that? Will you make that your priority and not lowering your handicap? Father, help us today as leaders of our, of our homes or men who will become leaders in their home. To not worry about so much being heroes out there in the business world, in the marketplace, but to be heroes in our home just because we do it your way. And I pray that tonight, as people listen here online, and we're listening in the week as well, that lives will be changed for your glory and for your honor. That families will be changed. We don't want to just wing it when it comes to this very important relationship called marriage. We want to do well. 